When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. That is hammered. Oh, my. Man, that ball got out of here in a hurry. You know, anything travels that far ought to have a damn stewardess on it, don't you think? This is a simple game. You throw the ball, you hit the ball, you catch the ball. You got it! You're listening to The Roundtable with Grant Brisby, Andy McCullough, and Mark Carrig on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode number 39 of The Roundtable. I'm Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy McCullough and Mark Carrig. And uh, let's start with Andy. Andy, how's uh, how are things going in the sports world other than baseball? I mean, I guess we can just talk about baseball. Look, I'm a grown-up. Like, it was a great game. The Eagles played really well offensively. They got absolutely cooked by Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid in the second half. I think, like... Most non-Chiefs fans, I would have liked to have seen Jalen Hurts get a chance to match Patrick Mahomes at the end and wasn't crazy about the ending. But, like, it was a great season. The birds are the birds will be back. Great club. They got it. Jalen Hurts is awesome. Like, uh, how can you feel bad as an Eagles fan moving forward? Man, that is way too measured. I wanted gnashing of teeth, rending of garments. <laughs> I don't play in the games, you know, the, all they can do is bring me enjoyment. Like I'm not no, going to let that them ruin my life. Don't. I'm not 18 years old anymore. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Mark, how are you doing? Well, I had the chief's money line. So <laughs> doing fine. Doing fine. Um, hell of a game. Hell of a game. It was a great game. We should just talk it about was that. A great it, game. Was, it was a really it was great, a great game. game. It was, I mean, watching, uh, Mahomes and Hurts duel, like even if you're invested in one of the teams, like that's, hey man, if baseball could find a way to get their best players on the field in the postseason, that'd be awesome. So let's do a podcast about the Angels. I don't know. I I think uh, there's only one Pat Mahomes in this guy's world, right? Like I, there's only one Pat (laughs) Mahomes that I recognize and it is uh, the middle reliever for the Mets. That is, that's my vintage. That's your guys' vintage, right? No, he's before my time. Beeb's right in my wheelhouse, of course. Um, you know, I, speaking of the Mets, uh, you know, ex-Mets beat writer Matt Ehalt's on Twitter a lot, and he's talked about the Eagles getting a little bit lucky. And, man, watching that, that uh, penalty flag come out there uh, late in the game, you saw the luck turn awfully fast. So maybe there was something to that. Maybe the Birds just had some luck run out on them a little bit. Even though, hey, great game. Great game. When you guys watch games, don't you feel like the officiating tends to even itself out, right? Like if a bad, you know, like if, for example, say your season ends on a called check swing, you know, when you're facing Max Scherzer in relief, 
rather than sort of complaining about how unfair it is, you acknowledge that, you know, like the officiating tends to break even, right? It's not slanted against one side or the other. Uh, first off, producer Brian in the chat says, <laughs> you son of a bitch, with all caps for that example. Uh, that was just you know, the first I, one that came to mind. I am also a grown-up, but here's the thing. In my uh, old advancing age, one thing that I have recognized is just how freaking hard umpiring is, officiating is, being an NBA referee is. Impossible. Wildly impossible. We are watching the Mike Trouts of refereeing, and we don't even know it. But we're also watching, uh, like, the Wilmer Flores of refereeing. And for better or for worse, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But yeah, I think, in general, it evens out. Like, you can get these weird Eric Gregg moments, or you can get, like, obvious blown calls. But for the most part, I'm just in awe of how good umpires, refs, officials are. I mean, kind of on that point, if you've watched baseball your whole life, like I know we have, you know damn well for a fact that officiating is actually probably never been better. It's never been better. Man, I, go watch, go queue up a game, pick a random game, 1987. You know, find one on YouTube, but you're going to see so many blown calls. You're going to see so many, I mean, pitches that are a foot off the plate or called strike three, um, you know, bullets down the line that are obviously foul, that are ruled fair. It's better than it's ever been before. I, I think so much of it is a product of technology, but not as far as replay, but because we can see all of this stuff now. Right, Grant? I mean, I know you and I are of that vintage. We remember when not every game was on TV in a baseball season. There were dark games where you had to go on the radio or whatever. Like, I mean, that's that's how it was back in the day. So the fact that all of this stuff is easily available, that they're graded out publicly, you know, I think it's only increased the standards. So to those folks credit, and I was just giving Andy a hard time about that, by the way, um, you know, for all of the hand wringing about refereeing in any sport, I think it's gotten to the point where it's awfully tired because um, I think by and large, overall, it's never been better, actually. That's like the hottest take imaginable, but it's not even a hot take. It's just, it's how it is. It's every, everyone's getting better at everything except for, all of the things that are getting worse in life. But, you except know, just for critical in general. thinking. Yeah, yes, exactly. that one's the one where everyone, we've gone a little bit backward on that yeah, department. Except but for yeah, our I agree preparation for this podcast. Yeah, everything gets better every week. I've been up all night. I've been up all night, my guys. Uh, well, this is going to segue seamlessly into rule changes, and we're talking about umpires, and there are going to be a lot of ump shows this year. And uh, our own Jason Stark, he uh, published an article uh, today. And the headline, I love the headline, MLB, MLB rule changes are coming to spring training. Get ready for the shit show. Now, he has it uh, you know, S, M dash or N dash or whatever it is. So he's not swearing, but he uses the phrase shit show uh, 11 times in the article because his his premise is that there's going to be box in pitch count strikes and pitch count balls and this and, and pitchers who forget that stepping off the rubber counts as a pickoff attempt and it all starts first day of spring training boof all the rules and it's gonna be uh, chaos I'm pro chaos do you guys have thoughts on the chaos as far as uh, what we're gonna see this spring yeah, I mean, I've been on the record that the funniest thing I've seen in baseball in the past several years was Max Scherzer offering to take off his pants for the umpire because he was so indignant about having to be checked for 
sticky stuff. I think the sudden intrusion of new rules is always very funny. So I think it's going to actually make spring training games worth watching for the first time in quite a while just to see, uh, or at the very least, there's going to be a lot of like funny clips to come out of spring training in a way that there normally isn't. And yeah, like I think the pitch clock will have a tremendous effect in changing the way the sport looks. I'm pro pitch clock. I think it's a good idea, but obviously it's going to be a time of adjustment and you know, you got to do it at some point. And so you might as well do it during the fake games that only exist to enrich the owners, because as you guys know, the players do not get paid during spring training. We are the only pro labor baseball podcast. (laughs) I think they should get paid. I think it's ridiculous. Uh, Well, the good thing about all of this change is that baseball players are famously really easygoing and chill. (laughs) And they're not going to, you know, something that they're not going to whine about it, right? You know, they're just going to go through, learn the rules, obey them, and probably not say anything else about them. So I think I anticipate it being a pretty smooth um, transition. No, this is not opposite day. I think they're going to whine and moan and cry, and it is going to be hilarious. And they're going to screw up a bunch by the time the regular season comes. There might be like a, a flare up here and there, but I think it'll be ironed out. I think I like the fact that they're going to be hardcore about enforcing this during the fake games because I certainly don't want to see people making mistakes when it counts. And this is exactly what this time of year is for. And, and you're going to get people complaining and crying about it. That's fine. But I also think that once they draw that line in the sand that, hey, this is getting enforced right away, they'll adjust. Players will adjust. Managers and coaches will adjust. They're not going to like it. They're going to screw up. There's going to be some funny-ass quotes, which I'm all for, because you know there will be. But, like, that's fine. This is exactly what this time of year is for, and I think this is a good thing that there are. You know, as Jason made clear in his article, this is not like a you know, transitionary period thing. Like, remember when they tried that a few years ago with the batter's box thing? It was a fiasco. All right. Remember that? Like, I mean, how quickly that went away? Like the the guys made a joke of it. And because, you know, it didn't have any teeth behind it. These are recommendations. It's not this is different. And I think this is the right approach. And I think ultimately, right, I, I don't know what of this will work or won't work or how it ultimately looks. But I do like the attempts at trying to make the game more engaging and entertaining. I think that's a good thing, too, as a whole. Again, not guaranteeing that any of it works or looks pretty, especially at the beginning. I think, so I've been focused on the pitch clocks, because, let me see. Because as a Sabre (laughs) award-winning member uh, for an article that I wrote on pitch clocks, uh, for the podcast listeners, I'm holding holding up my Sabre. You had that on his desktop. 2018 was actually the last time Mark was in a clubhouse. (laughs) Man, that's... How did me doing uh, a brag get turned into a dunk on Mark? Because, Grant, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. (laughs) Anyway, I I am focused on the pitch clock because it is going to be meaningful as far as the impact on the game. It's gonna be it's gonna affect how you view the game. It's gonna affect uh, the attention. I think it's going to be almost entirely positive, and I do think it's going to be one of the more seamless changes. Right? It's going to be less noticeable than maybe you think. Uh, at, at least on a pitch by pitch basis, you'll start to get used to the rhythm. The players will start to get used to the rhythm. When I was reading Stark's article, the pickoffs, I've been underrating the pickoffs, the limit on pickoffs, stepping off the rubber to gather yourself, not even attempting a pickoff. The chaos that is going to to cause, 
That's what I've been underrating. I have been thinking shifts and pitch clocks and and all this stuff. Man, that is going to be so wildly different from the game that we're used to. It even begins to use a different word for that. Disengagements. I think Stark did a nice job pointing that out. And, and that's a big deal. It's not just throwing over there. It's every time you step off the rubber. It's every time basically you break up the rhythm of what that batter pitcher faceoff should be. So what is it? A couple of those disengagements. And now you can't even throw over there unless you get the guy. Yeah, unless right? you get the guy. <laughs> unless you get the guy. If you, if you pick somebody off, then it's fine. If you don't, it's a balk. So, I, I mean, think about the strategy just in that change right there. If you're the runner at first base, the bases are a little bit bigger, so there's more incentive to take the risk to take the bag. And then you've got a pitcher that's screwed around, blown both engagements. You know, there's a joke to be made there. I won't do it. But anyway, like, you know, messed up some engagements, right? And, and, and now what do you do, right? Like that, that's a whole different ball game. The pressure that's on potentially from that point because everyone knows like what you're restricted on. I think, it, yeah, it's another layer. You're right, Grant. I, I, I kind of think, you know, you call it what the thing that kind of we get underrated a little bit. Yeah, I think you're spot on. And, and that one is every time there's a guy on first base, look out. So, yeah, very interesting. Do we really think that's going to happen? Do we think teams are just going to, you know, start running again? I think, yeah, I really, I think because the leads are going to get so much bigger, because success rates are generally a close to the break-even rate, as is, if not a little bit over. I think it might be 1% over the break-even rate um, when it comes to expected runs on a stolen base. So stolen base, uh, stolen bases were already kind of profitable, as it were, last year. Uh, this year, I think they're going to get bigger leads. They're going to get bigger, bigger leads. The bases are going to be bigger. I don't see how it's not going to be profoundly different as far as base stealing. So you think teams are going to say, we're, we're running? this year that's my guess that's my guess i mean who knows but that's the chaos that i'm looking for gosh i hope you're right because i think that would be fun you know i i feel like to be a good base stealer doesn't even necessarily require speed right like top end speed it's really like and i love that part about base stealing is that that it's something that you can do well without being physically the best at running Right. It, it, it's a skill that you can learn if you put time and effort into it. And because of these rules, you, I wonder if you'll just see more good ball players putting a little bit more time and effort into it. Right. If the math checks out and it is something that you can get good at, it is something you can do if you don't you're not necessarily the top, you know, top speed runner. Um, and obviously it helps your club. Like taking that extra base is a huge deal um, or can be. So I think. That's what I'm kind of curious about. And, and, you know, we're talking about officiating earlier, how you just, because of the technology, it's easier to get better at things, right? Like we have players in their early 30s getting better and we don't even blink at that anymore. Like think about that. And that, that's a partly technology. So you change the rules, you increase the incentives. Grant, great point. At this, it's not like the stolen base rate for success has plummeted in recent years. No, it, it's... People are, have done it less, but the rate has stayed about the break even. Well, if you if you put in rules that encourage it, and you've got the technology to exploit it, and I think that could be really cool, and I would welcome that. 
To be clear, I think more stolen bases is good for the modern game. Just as a general concept, if we're talking about concern with true three outcomes where it's either a walk, a strikeout, or a home run, and that's the modern game today. And boy, in my day, they used to hit it to the other side, and they used to choke up and play a little pepper out there. Like, that's gone away, but I think the stolen base, it, everyone loves a good stolen base, right? They're, they're fun. They're, they're zippy. Stolen bases. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Grant, if you want to hit the bell... Uh, I have a point to make. Is it about the Royals? Of the... I mean, if you think about what made the 2014-2015 Royals so much fun to watch, it was because of their, you know, debonair, dashing, base stealing. I mean, that was their offensive, you know, I like the, uh, the actual offensive hallmark was contact, but the thing that was fun to watch was stealing bases. And that was a team who, you know, trying to come back against John Lester in the wildcard game ended up stealing, I think, like seven or eight bases in, you know, the middle innings. And that really, like, was what allowed them to get back in it. So I think adding that element would be great. What what I wonder about, though, is just how discordant that is going to look with a one at a time when hitting has never been further behind pitching, right? So runs are already going to be outs are already going to be at a premium. Will that make teams more aggressive or less aggressive? Given you know how like hard how important it is basically to hit home runs and to get and to drive guys in. Like there's something of a disconnect between the way that naturally or however or evolutionarily uh, pitching has gotten so good and so far ahead of the hitting versus what Major League Baseball is clearly trying to get the game back to. And I think that sort of clash is going to be interesting to watch this year. That's a good point. That's a good point because it's still the idea of what is the risk reward, the out, you know, outs are at a premium. You get 27 every game and we tend to be making fewer of them than ever before. I don't know. That, that's a that's a good idea. That's a good idea. I To your other point about the Royals, uh, I didn't really check into the career of Terrence Gore, right? He has career 85 plate appearances over eight years in the regular season. 85. He is uh, 9 of 16 on stolen bases in the regular season, right? He had not a very good break-even rate, uh, not a good stolen base rate. He, to me, in my head, when I think Terrence Gore... I think of some of the most exciting baseball memories I have ever had because when he came into the game, it was, oh, here comes Terrence Gore, right, in the postseason. And I remember Terrence Gore, if if you had asked me before this, I'd say, yeah, he's got a thousand plate appearances in the majors and and he's done this and he had a couple good seasons. No, he was a he was like an Uno draw four card that the Royals would play in those postseasons, and he was so flippin' exciting. Like, the idea of Terrence Gore, to me, just gets me pumped up, and he's like a non-entity as far as historical, like, if you're looking at just counting stats and stuff like that, are you going to have more Terrence Gores, more players like that? Gore is, is such an anomaly in that he is so specialized that, like, he effectively plays in the majors every September so he can get onto the postseason roster. And then he occasionally will be uh, used in the postseason. He's won three world series, by the way, he has three world series rings incidentally with the, with the Royals uh, Dodgers and the Braves. I think the more interesting comp from that Royals team would be Gerard Dyson, who's a fourth outfielder, excellent defender, incredible runner, you know, um, not as fast as Gore, but with incredible like aggressiveness and instincts and just had been trained and worked himself to being just an elite base dealer. Do players like that become 
more valuable guys who can catch the baseball from the seventh to eighth inning, ninth inning, and come in, you know, a guy who can come in as a pinch runner in some scenario and then go play, you know, elite center field or elite outfield or something like that. Dyson is someone who, you know, comes immediately to mind. But again, like our team's going to be willing to utilize a roster spot for someone, for a player who had previously be considered kind of an inefficient usage of a roster spot. And that is really, because we just don't know. We don't, I mean, maybe there is like an algorithm or something that can tell us what the new rules are going to mean for this equation, but we just don't know yet. And, and I, we probably won't know for several years. It's going to be, you know, a process of figuring it out in, in real time as they get in more data on you guys' minds went right towards like the extreme versions of this rule, right? Like fast dudes that maybe that's their that's their biggest tool. That's why they're in the league sort of thing. Like I kind of go the other way. I, I'm I'm curious about the guys who finished the year with 10 bags, 15 bags, and if that goes to 20 and 25. And, you know, in a situation, you know, late and close and you're scratching for a run and that guy's standing on first base the change dynamic when that person now becomes an actual threat because they're encouraged to do it more. It's a little bit easier. The risk reward, you know, part of it is easier to stomach. Like that's where I'll be curious, right? Like Francisco Lindor standing at third base or at at first base and, and, you know, and, and Mets are trying to tie the game late. You know, he was already a threat there, but even more so if you've seen him do it more and more as the season has gone along because he's more incentivized to do so, right? So that's the ones where I'll be curious about, the the 15 stolen base guys getting to 20 or 25. That's exactly the point I was going to make. I have Aaron Judge's page open right now. Aaron Judge was 16 for 19 last year. He's a good base dealer. He's uh, he's, he's quick. Well, I mean, he takes one step and he's on second base. Right. Um, but <laughs> Falls he, down. Is, is he going to be... Uh, you know, I don't want to get over my skis here, but 60-60 uh, season, Everyone, anyone uh, buying that? <laughs> I'll take the under. <laughs> but seriously, like that, all of a sudden, are you going to are you gonna walk Aaron Judge if you think maybe, well, he's running a lot? Like now you've got a decision to make if you're a pitcher, a manager. I'm fascinated by that. Yeah, I mean, I think if you think back at the previous generation, like if you ask me, like, who were the best base runners of that time? Three guys would come to mind. It's Carlos Beltran, Chase Utley, and Ian Kinsler. And none of them were particularly the fastest guy, but they sort of understood and felt the game and knew when to go and when not to go. And so I feel like in these past, you know, five to 10 years or so, as the, uh, you know, the, the math has suggested more and more and more, don't run, don't run, not efficient, not efficient, don't do it. You know, it's a good point, Mark, as you said, like if those sort of elite players who have good wheels and great instincts for the game like a Lindor and you know a great feel for the moment if they gain more agency you know as the season goes along and feel more confident in doing it that I mean you're right that should be you know Brandon Nimmo was talking about it yes just yesterday at Mets camp that they're going to really take a look at you know whether he should be running more but that's like a decision that you don't just hit a green light in April and then, you know, go. You're going to have to just figure out, like, how different does the sport actually look? I think we'll find out quick. I know you were saying that maybe it'll take a year or two to really figure out how much teams are willing to risk. I think we will find out fairly quick if we're making too big a deal of this or if we're not making enough big of a deal. Um, because I remember once they figured out that John Lester didn't throw her to first, it was sort of like, oh boy, here we go. He says they're just going to run wild on him. And they really didn't. 
Like they really didn't. So when you're talking about limiting pickoffs, but if you throw over and you get them, it doesn't count as a balk. That might be enough of a deterrent to the runner to keep them close enough to where all of a sudden you don't have a bunch of Ricky Hendersons out there. That it's just enough to where you're going to have to really weigh those, uh, the risk and reward, and, and you're just going to say, nah, I'm going to take the base instead of the, the stolen base potential. Well, also, too, the, the, the idea that the thing with Lester was that he controlled the running game by upsetting timing, right? He didn't need to throw over. Uh, he was very quick to the plate. You know, he could slide step. He could do a variety of things. But John Lester is also like a hall of very good type player, right? Like, so the question will be what happens to the more mediocre guys? And if it upsets their timing, instead of throwing strikes, they're throwing balls. Or instead of locating, you know, down and away, they locate middle, middle. And then does it become, you know, it's just, I just think it's going to take a while to hash out like, hey, these are the guys we run on versus these are the guys we threaten to run on because it really messes them up. You know, Andy, you used the word agency earlier about the players. You know, we're talking about base stealing and all that. I, I hope that the players regain some of that agency. I think so much player, has been, yeah. you know, we're pro, it's a pro player podcast, right? And but, you know, so much of the base stealing conversation is basically don't try. Don't try, don't try, don't try. I think baseball is awesome when players are out there making decisions on the fly. Where it's like, you know what? You're the one standing at first base. You're the one getting a sense of the pitcher's rhythm. You're the one that knows who's at the plate. Make a decision. Make you know, make a good decision. Go. I hope that all of this goes back to that big point, like restoring some agency and just going out there and playing the game. I, I think that's when it gets more fun. Yeah, I think it is. It's a big difference. I know that like players have been frustrated by that through the years. You know that there's less feeling of agency. So you know, regaining some of it would be awesome. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck t-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB Show. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. 
Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I wanna tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Here's something that takes agency away from the players, I feel. And we have talked this uh, about this before, and I believe that you guys are pro-runner on second in extra innings. That uh, you, you guys hate extra innings enough to where you think it's, yeah, it's fine. I hate it so, so much. I think it runs score at more than twice the rate that they normally score in extra innings. Um, they scored at twice the rate as they do innings one through nine. I don't know. I'm screwing that up, but you get what I'm trying to say. And I hate that. I It makes the game totally different. Uh, I miss a good 18-inning game where you've got idiots, you know, running around the stands with their uh, cup snakes and stuff like that. Um, so are you guys still pro uh, Ghost Runner? I'm not pro Ghost gross Runner. I'm super pro Ghost Runner. Yeah. I could yeah. not. I have four. Th- <laughs> I wish I had more hands. So I could give it four thumbs up. <laughs> oh, man, he man. likes ghost runners. Well, just, I get it. I Look, I get it. I get it. I get it. It's a changing of the game. You know, it's not what baseball looks like. I think I would feel differently if, the, if it was enacted in the playoffs. I think that if it was, they were using ghost runners in the playoffs, I would start to, you know, uh, I would, you know, shake my fist at the cloud. But I just feel like for the regular season, look, Season's already too long, right? Like 160 games is too long. It's already challenging. To The games had been too long. We will see how the pitch clock affects it. Teams don't like it. You know, I, I, I think uh, people, the, the exceedingly small pocket of people who watch baseball solely for whimsy uh, is not really worth making a decision that all the other uh, stakeholders really don't seem to like. You know, like the players don't like it. The front offices don't like it. The owners don't like it because you can't sell beer. So, yes, it will rob us sickos on baseball Twitter of, you know, amusing gifts and things like that and clips of, you know, guys with cups stacked on their heads. But unfortunately, you know, the world just isn't for us anymore. <laughs> Four thumbs up. 
<laughs> what an argument. And then, I mean, just look, I mean, Mark, you remember being a beat writer. I mean, like as the constituency that I care the most about, the beat writers, I'm like so pro this. <laughs> One of my first uh, assignments for the Athletic was uh, an 18-inning game uh, between the Giants and the Rockies. I was covering for bags, and I was actually supposed to write off of that game. And it was 18 innings. Might have been one to nothing. Might have been two to one. I can't remember. And I just loved it so much. I loved the nothingness. I loved the randomness. And I, I just... That's a good point. I'm a weirdo. Like, I am not the the target audience for baseball. And who really likes a good 16-inning games but the sickos and the weirdos? And uh, there just aren't enough of those. So okay, I, I will kind of concede the point. I just... I would almost rather see a tie. I would almost rather see oh, a, a home run oh, derby. No, like I just, no, no, no. That's I would stop. almost like if Don't just do that. If the idea Shut is up. that you just want to go home, then just end it oh, after ten yeah, innings. See, look at the framing there. That is yeah. so that's annoying. That's bad faith. That's bad faith. Oh, <laughs> don't God. care for that. See, that's that's Grant showing his ass. That, that is Uts Blonger turned into press box guy. Wow, dude, that's bullshit. Wow. Don't wow. give me that. Don't give me that. You're going to be the proxy for all those jerks on Twitter that would say stuff like that to me. It's like, I'd be, it'd for be the 14th inning, and you'd be like, man, it's dragging a little bit. Oh, you get paid to watch baseball for a living, you jerk. That was Grant. I bet you would look at your Twitter right now. You're probably tweeting that shit at bags, huh? You probably were. Oh, you totally were. So knock it off. Stop with that. It's not about going home. <laughs> yeah, and like, right? like you'd you, rather dude, have ties. You saw, what is this, France? What is yeah exactly? Honestly, dude. one of what the one hell? of I love France. one of Wonderful the first. Country. I really <laughs> wish we had the, the French social services in America. But anyway, if you go uh, back to the uh, the deep deep Brisbee archives in uh, uh, 1994 1995, when I'm running for the Southern Oregon Siskiyou, I actually did use the phrase uh, "ties go back to Russia." So you know, like, I I'm not really. Into ties. I just, I cannot stand it when a team wins by doing nothing right. And what I mean by that is uh, you got a runner on second base. You have terrible contact that's so terrible that runner's on third. And then you have terrible contact, uh, you know, a medium deep fly ball, and then the game's over. I just hate it. I want the team to do something right a tiny bit where I want the other team to screw up a tiny bit in order to make the the decision of who wins that game. When nobody screws up and nobody does anything right, I, I don't I don't like that. I'd rather have a home run derby. Grant, I think this was what Paul Giamatti's dad had in mind when he said, the game breaks your heart, it is designed to break your heart. I mean, look, I get your point, but also like, no, they did do something <laughs> right. They drove in the run. By doing nothing right. No, by by putting the ball in play and bringing home the runner. Like that's like you're see the point you're making. I understand from if I was a pitcher in that situation, right? I would throw up my hands and say, well, I did all I could. But the idea that the opposing team didn't do anything right because they hit two ground balls like, no, that's they played situational baseball and won. Just beat the ball into the earth, not even like a ground ball to the right side. I can appreciate a good ground ball to the right side. Do you realize how stupid and random this sport is? Like that is the essence of the sport. This actually like I I don't actually think it's that cool. But like theoretically, if you were a sicko trying to be contrarian, you could pivot and say it's kind of interesting that after nine innings of playing a certain thing, they all of a sudden have to play a new kind of game. 
for this final, you know, in this new stage. And that rewards the diversity of skills on a roster. All right. I will <laughs> agree to disagree. Uh, let's just uh, palate cleanser. No, no. We all are done with position players pitching. Right? Like, <laughs> oh, all that's, the- that's been dead for like seven years. Yeah. Yeah. Tired. Yeah, tired. And I was the guy who like I I wrote like a big feature on Brent Maine and when he came in to win the game. And I love position players pitching the way it used to be when it was a unicorn. And now uh, it's it's a it's a darn rat. When it was once a year, it was funny. When it was once a week, it was a scourge. Right. It's it's the freaking oh, it's efficient because you'd rather just have one of them position players wear it than actually have a player, uh, an, a real pitcher in there. And it, and it goes, by the way, Grant, to your point about the extra innings is why I, I want the runner. Because like, I've seen too many like day games after that 17 innings where like the oh, product was absolute terrible, drag. Terrible. Like those guys were wandering in an hour before first pitch. They all look like shit because they're exhausted. You, you have a manager who's got the ass because all his pitchers are dead. Right. Like he's I mean, you know, who wants to watch that? And like, that's not a one day issue, by the way, when you cover a baseball team, you see that that stuff lingers. Right. Like your bullpen short for a couple Some more guys days. just like got it, sent down because of it. Yeah. Right. Like the, it's a roster gymnastics. People get screwed. It sucks, actually. So like that, this position player thing, like when, when someone goes out there, like it's happened so often and like they, it becomes completely non-competitive. You know, it's, it's yeah, we that the less non-competitive baseball that you can provide, the better, obviously. One quick thought just before we move on. I was thinking, and I don't have an, I have an answer for this, but thinking about the um, the running, like stealing bases and stuff like that. Do we think there will be a team like the Giants last year? Gabe Kapler was like, hey, by the way, we're just going to run up the score. Like, we're going to do that, and that's going to be on purpose. Like, is there a team who walks in on day one and says, we are running? Like, we, this is what we're going to do. Like, I don't know if it's like, you know, the Guardians or the Rays. I was going to say or, Cleveland. Yeah. You know, <laughs> just a team that's young. And like, the Guardians don't fit the profile of who we're talking about because everyone there is 23. But they also like have some fast guys. They don't hit for a ton of power. They have contact already in the lineup. So like I, I'm just I, I wonder if there's going to be a team, and they probably won't announce it right away. Um, but who's just like, yeah, we're just we're going. Like you know, we're we're taking we're ta- we're we're taking the bumpers off the bumper car, and we're I don't even know if that's not a thing, but we're going. If the Cleveland Guardians become like you know bring the hit and run back to life, <laughs> hell yeah, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Why not? Why not? They contact the young. They can run. Let's go. Hit and run. And if you are the Pirates, and you know the Pirates are paying attention to their to the new rules because uh, uh, they've got Carlos Santana, they, they have uh, Jimen Choi, uh, and those are famously hitters that are easy to shift on. They signed both of them, and I think they're doing it with an idea of the shift. If you're the Pirates, why not? Why not just run wild? You are literally the Pirates, my dudes. Just see what happens when you are trying to steal all these bases. Can you make teams fret for a month? Why Why not? Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, you're right. And I don't think the... Um... I don't think the reduction or the limitations on the shift is going to have a pretty significant impact. I think there might be a handful of hitters who really benefit from it. Anthony Rizzo comes to mind. You know, my long hobby horse has been that Eric Hosmer will be better because the shift will be gone. But I could be wrong about that. Um, But anyway, like I don't think that will have a significant effect, but it will be curious if there are individual guys who really uh, benefit from it. 
And just to go back real quick to, to that point of managers having the ass because all of their pitchers are gassed. Um, I didn't mean to rhyme there, but like when you have this consideration and that's why you don't want to do extra innings, that brings me to if I could change one rule, if I have uh, powers to go in there and mess with the settings on my simulation, 100 game season, everyone would hate that. It would not be popular. It would never happen. But that's what should have happened from the start of baseball. And the only reason it didn't is because baseball started before there were darn airplanes. And when you would go outside and you'd bounce a ball for fun, and you'd say like, you know, hey, Ethel, come bounce a ball with me. And in that era, you need 162 games. Uh, in this era, I don't think you do. But it'll never happen. No. But you know what? What you needed 162 games because you were selling tickets. It was the gate, right? Like you needed like product to actually sell. And you know, I think what just sort of going off of your thing of okay, if it's 100 games, I think there's something in the middle, right? Like 162 is obviously because your business is predicated on selling a, a ticket. All right, it's an event that you have to go attend. Whereas obviously in the NFL, right, it's a total opposite. It's all about television. They're all like you got 17 games and there could be five guys in the stands and all those owners are going to make their money because it's about the television. So I wonder like if, you know, again, this would never, ever happen. But as a thought exercise in baseball, like how interesting would it be if we found something in the middle where we reduce the inventory of games? But because you did that, every one of them got way more important. Right. And now all of a sudden, instead of us talking about freaking ghost runners or whatever, if you're playing 100 games, F that. Right. Like, no, 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 no. We're playing this shit out till the end. Let's go. Because at 100 games, the weighting of each game is much more important. And then you, it makes you wonder then, OK, could you recoup the cost of that extra 62 games that you're not selling tickets to? Because it might be a more interesting product for television. 17 games season. Out of the, baseball, let's go. 17 baseball games once every Sunday. And then you've got like Max Scherzer. You've got now instead of uh, what do you have? You have uh, 30 times five. You have 150 starting pitchers. No, no, no. Now you have 30 starting pitchers. Right. And then you've got the backups to those guys. And you every baseball game is Max Scherzer. Every baseball game is Jacob deGrom. Let's go. I just think I think the season should just be like 154. You know, like just trim a week off it so the postseason is less crammed. So you can, if you're going to have the expanded postseason, so you can have the World Series end before, you know, 10 days after Halloween or whatever it is. Because I like, I, you know, I mean, look, like we pretend we're cynics on this show, but we all like the daily rhythm of being able to turn on the baseball game at night after dinner and watching. And, you know, and that's part of the reason why the playoffs feel so intense is you've spent every day with you know your purported team for six months and so you have a level of intimacy with you know their their flaws and their foibles and you know often with their announcing crew and all that stuff so like i don't want i just think there should be like a week less games basically like i, I don't think that's a huge like it'll never happen because the owners wouldn't agree to pay and the you know and the players would want their salaries at the current rates but that would be like my ideal tweak all right, you caught me. I, 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 I like the rhythms. I like the long seasons. I would say 154 games, something a little bit, uh, maybe even 140-something. Like you said, nice. never would happen. But just what I would want to see is the ability for the teams to use their best pitchers more often. And right now it's a reliever-based game, uh, whatever. I want to see those arms, those best arms. I don't want them 
tired. I don't want them gassed and, and I don't want r risking injury. Like, I just want to see you've got the hotshot reliever. I want to see him in more games than uh, he's not in. And right now, the season's so packed together that you really have to start playing that game of, you know, one day off, two, two days on, one day off, all that stuff. I don't find that as fun, but yeah, I, I do like a, a good long season, the rhythms. How would you even get those starting pitchers back like that at this point? Right, seeing like seeing them more and all that, like like how, extending them out. Yeah, how would we begin? Because like they're they're trained in such a different way, and I know that this gets brought up in the context of the schedule and like the length of the season and the grind and all that stuff. But I think as much of a as much of that equation is also going to be how they're trained because of the way the game is structured now to chase the swing and miss. So. How do you even begin? Because, like, I think Tyler Kepner, if you've talked to him for two seconds, right? Like, this is his big, like, you know, he's still in mourning about the fact that starting pitchers are, like, going to go to the Hall of Fame because they've thrown five good innings, right? So, you know, like, what I wonder, like, what do you even do to bring that back? Is that a rule change thing? Is that a structural schedule thing? Is that just how they're trained? I, I don't know. It's such a big thing that I don't even know where to begin. I don't think it's ever coming back. I think the idea that you can teach velocity in a way that you can't or that you couldn't even 10 years ago, five years ago, you're going to be able to get more higher leverage arms out of the prospects that you have. And there's going to be no incentive to stretch out all your pitchers to seven innings because you're going to have in the coming years, it's probably going to get even worse. You're just going to have five guys who throw 100 miles per hour, five guys who throw 97. And why, when you have guys like that with wipeout sliders, why would you bother building out your farm system to have a bunch of guys who can be horses and eat innings and stuff like that? I just don't see how that's coming back. There are interesting test cases, you know, like what, it, what do the next five years look like for Sandy Alcantara, for example, right? Like this is a guy who... Last year was afforded the opportunity to take down innings at a rate that almost none of his peers were just because of how the Marlins the Marlins managed him. I mean, like there were games sometimes when I would see the Marlins where it would be like, I mean, I saw this literally in the ninth inning once, but we'll just say the eighth inning because it's more common where they're up like three to one and he has one out in the eighth and he's at like 110 pitches and he gives up a hit and he just stays in the game. And you're like watching it, and you're like, you're like, this is 1984, like what, you know, like. But that was, you know, the way Don Mattingly managed him, and he so and Alcantara was afforded the opportunity, right, to get through, get through those situations. And so we will see if that is how he's managed for the rest of his career. You know, then you contrast that to like Julio Urias, who's like, you know, is never allowed to go more than like 100 pitches or whatever, um, or rarely allowed, and. Like, it's a question of, you know, do we want more pitchers who go deeper into games because we we think it's cool, because it makes the product better? Like, what is the or is it just because it reminds us of the way baseball used to be? I think in general, it's better for the sport if you have guys capable of doing it. But the reason that it stopped happening was in part because of the development was different, but mostly because it was just inefficient. Like it was just not the best way to win a baseball game as these guys determined, as the front office is determined. And so I don't know how much, like in some ways they believe they were correcting something that was wrong. And so are you suggesting that it needs to be corrected to make the sport better or just to make it look more like the sport you remember? I would agree with a lot of that, except for starting pitchers have historically been stars in the sport. 
And I think you're better off with more stars in the sport. Like they, they had, not only were they stars in the sport, but so many of them carried like that persona and halo around him. Like that was beyond just what they produced, right? Like Bob Gibson isn't just a one six four ERA or whatever. Bob Gibson's going to knock you on your ass, right? Don Drysdale wasn't just, you know, he total up the winds and be like, oh, that's really impressive. No, he's going to knock you on your ass, right? Like these, and, and there's still, right? Like Clayton Kershaw's got some of that still, like, you know, there's a star level that you can get to if, if you play it that way. So when I think about it, it's less about the efficiency thing because that's not an argument. Of course, it's more efficient to have a fresher arm in there. But I do miss that idea of, you know, I'll be biased here, like Dave Stewart. All right. Like Dave Stewart goes out there and like, you know, if he's not in there in the seventh inning, he's furious. Right. Like you're furious as a fan because, you know, it's probably been a bad day. But like I just... I don't know. That's something that I don't think you can ever recapture when you lose this idea of that ace starting pitcher. So, yeah, maybe it's a combination of both. It reminds me of the game I grew up with. But I also think that, yeah, you know, it, it helped create that mystique around players, which is not a bad thing. I will say that Max Scherzer will bite your nose off if he throws six innings and he'll bite your nose off if he has a, a nine inning complete game with 162 pitches like like they did in the days of yore. I think you will still have pitchers like that when they're starting a postseason game or where they're coming in relief on three days rest and, and oh, here comes Max Scherzer. You'll still have that. It might not be quite as cool, but I don't think that the idea of the starting pitcher as a star, I think it has a little bit more to go before it's uh, it takes too much of a hit because I just think of Verlander, I think of Scherzer, and you still have these guys built up in your head as something uh, you know that they are, but that they maybe it's a different level of stardom that, that it was a few years ago. I mean, we have three surefire Hall of Famers right now who are still at an elite level. And Zach Greinke, who is going to be a Hall of Famer, even though he's less elite. So you have <clears throat> Garrett Cole, you have Corbin Burns, you have Sandy Alcantara. I mean, I think when you talk about them being stars, that says more about Major League Baseball's marketing failures than it does about the talent of the athletes. I mean, no one knows who Corbin Burns is because he plays for the Milwaukee Brewers, right? Um, not because of anything he's doing particularly wrong. Or the Brewers are doing particularly wrong. It's just the regionality of the sport. Corbin Burns. <laughs> Whoa, this guy is good. Whoa. I just looked him up on baseball reference. Hachi Machi. All right, this has been episode 39 of the Baseball Roundtable. We will be back in a couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to, we actually know what we're going to be doing in a couple of weeks. We're going to be uh, starting our previews. I believe next time we talk, we're going to be previewing the NL West. Um, you guys have Rocky's thoughts? Oh, buddy. I'm in favor of it. <laughs> All right. Episode 39. We'll be back in two weeks. See you then. Thanks for listening.